What's up, everybody? Welcome to Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. Our first question comes from HeyHo Studios, who asks, what are your thoughts about Susan stepping down as CEO? Are you happy or sad? I'll be honest, I am a little bit sad. It feels like the end of an era. So let's lay some context. If you're unfamiliar, Susan Wojcicki, uh, who's been the CEO of YouTube since 2014, announced last week that she's stepping down and she is going to be replaced by Neil Mohan, who's also an employee at YouTube, been there for a really long time, more on the product side. But Susan stepping down is is absolutely an end of an era. She became the CEO in 2014. She has a long history of working at Google and YouTube even before being the CEO. She rented her family's garage to Larry and Sergey when they were working on Google. Like that is an early mm -hmm. contributor to this entire company. It's it, kind of crazy. It sounds like you've been reading my LinkedIn. Because this is Samir, I, I get news from other places, you know? It's not the only creator news source. My LinkedIn is the Samir, third best creator economy news source on the internet. It behind goes, my LinkedIn and no, the public press. No, it goes Colin and Samir and published press are tied. Okay. Okay. And then my personal LinkedIn newsletter and then my LinkedIn posts. Those are the <laughs> top three. <laughs> okay, I'm going to save a gripe for later in the episode because I can feel one brewing. Okay, so in 1998, like you mentioned, Susan rented her family's garage to the Google founders, which is how she met them. That's so crazy. In 1998, um, she was Google's 16th employee and their first marketing manager. But this is the most important, and I think something that all creators should, should know, is that she's actually referred to as the mother of AdSense, someone who really pushed for developing out the ad business of YouTube and figuring out the revenue share between the platform and creators. And that move of sharing revenue has kind of ushered in what we know today as the creator economy. Yeah, and if you think about all of the creators that have come up while she's been the CEO mm -hmm. and in a way have graduated, like think about Logan Paul, Emma Chamberlain, yeah. Casey Neistat, all well, of the people. <laughs> opening with Logan Paul there is aggressive because he also caused her a lot of oh, 100%, controversy. Like, and like, It feels to yeah. me almost like uh, she is the principal of the school sure, sure, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And yes, yeah, some of the yeah. students are troublemakers <laughs> and have caused trouble, but yeah. then they graduate. Yeah, and they right? defined the era. Like, yeah. I mean, Casey Neistat, I think also is a, is a big creator who emerged in this era. Rhett and Link, like really found success. But I think this era was defined by the payouts to creators. Mm -hmm. You know, you look across all the platforms, you know, it's the only platform that's paid this much out to creators. Actually, the stat is, you know, from 2018 to 2021, YouTube paid over $30 billion to creators, artists, and media companies. That's a lot of money to pay out to publishers of a platform. I think no matter what, everyone's always going to, you know, there's going to be a contingent of people that's probably the most outspoken and loud that doesn't like the CEO. That's going to happen with Neil too. Like people yeah. are going to be upset with the CEO. I think famously people are upset that Susan, you know, under her, her era removed dislikes, which is like the funny, because it's like one of the biggest, you know, feature changes um, outside yeah. of YouTube shorts. Can I say something about that? Yeah. I have not missed dislikes. No, I don't mind and, it. And that's coming from someone who has never disliked a video. So take that with a grain of salt. I think I have. But like, I'm not an active disliker. Right. I don't put energy into disliking. Sure. sure. So I haven't I, even noticed it. I did like that it was like a, you know, credibility check on the video. Like if, if the community was like, this is not a good one, like you could quickly see it. I digress. What I really liked about Susan was the way she showed up with other creators, specifically 
Ludwig. Susan being willing to sit down with Ludwig in his backyard and do a podcast in his style is something that, for me, I will always respect her for. Yeah, I mean, he called some element of YouTube dog shit. Yeah, the streaming analytics. The streaming, like, analytics. The streaming platform, he said, was dog shit. And she was able to, like, sit in that chair and, and yeah. converse with him, but also stand up for the fact that as the CEO of YouTube, she's making decisions based on the YouTube ecosystem, which has multiple components to it. It has advertisers, it has media companies, it has audience members, and it has creators. Like, the ecosystem as a whole, she's making decisions based on that, not necessarily based on, you know, an individual vertical or a vertical subset of creators. And I think that's why you're always going to have people dislike a CEO. I do think it's important that the CEO shows up on creator platforms, though. There was a time when Susan launched her own YouTube channel, and it was mm -hmm. not an effective... No place for her to message and market. And then she started showing up on creators platforms totally. and all of a sudden it was like, okay, you're on our turf in a way and, mm -hmm. and you're actually more comfortable. And I hope that Neil does the same thing. We were just talking before we started recording. It'd be great to have Neil on our show. Neil, if you're watching, we would love to host you and interview you. Interviewing the new CEO of YouTube feels like a thing that would be really fun. We could have an open conversation. The thing that I will say is uh, when we brought Todd and Renee on this show, one thing I really respected about YouTube is, you know, they, they were completely fine not reviewing, which I think is really great. Yeah. Like to be like, we will come on creators platforms. You can do it how you want to do it. We'll be transparent, have a conversation and you put it out. That to me is like, you know, really, really important for Neil and like all the executives of YouTube. And it's what really makes them different you don't really see other tech CEOs engaging with creators. Like you're not going to see the CEO of TikTok in a TikTok with a TikToker. Have you seen that before? You just no. said TikTok so many times. Too many times. Uh, yeah, too many times. But you're not going to see that. Or like- Yeah, Adam Maseri from Adam Instagram- Adam is not doing Instagram not Reels. necessarily with, yeah. showing up. Inside of the platform with the creators, you know, the way that they want to communicate. He so. is posting Reels, Adam Maseri from Instagram, but he's not but doing like- They feel overproduced, right? Or do you not think so? Yeah, they do feel a little bit scripted for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I think so that, you know, to close out, you know, you're, everyone's always going to have issues with whoever's at the top. That's always going to happen. But largely, I think for us and, you know, for a lot of creators, Susan stepping down is sad. It's, it's, it's an end of an era. But Neil, who we've met many times, I think Neil's going to be great. You know, and I, I, the, the one thing is like spend more time with creators. We can say anything you know, to the new CEO and the new leadership at, at YouTube. It's just come spend time with us, come on our platforms, um, but also like just hang out, you know? Yeah, it'll be interesting because Susan was much more on the creator side, like you said, with the yeah. the ad split, mm -hmm. uh, driving revenue for creators. And Neil's background is much more on the product side uh, with the launch of shorts, with YouTube TV. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, was Susan the creator CEO yeah. That kind of got us where we are today. Right. And will Neil be more the product CEO? Yeah. Who changes the face of what YouTube looks like? Very possible. I mean, very possible. The, you know, in Susan's letter to creators, she said, it's an incredibly important time for Google. It reminds me of the early days. Incredible product and technology innovation, huge opportunities, and a healthy disregard for the impossible. Great quote. But I agree that we've never seen the technological advancement on the internet that's happening right now since probably like online video and, and like early days of the internet. 
you know, I saw a video of a fully AI PewDiePie with his voice and his face. And we talked about it last week with Joe Rogan and the deepfake. I actually think you need a product lead right now to figure out there's so many changes happening. How do you keep up with the way technology is advancing right now? Like there's a lot of dangers for YouTube as well. And, and the creator economy as we knew it under Susan is about to change. We're seeing, you know, connected TVs become more of a place where people are watching YouTube. Mm -hmm. We're seeing short form vertical content take over the platform and we're seeing AI come in to confuse users about who's who. Speaking of, you know, the landscape changing, did you see Adam Masseri from Instagram talking about Meta Verified where oh, users yeah. of yeah. Instagram and Facebook will now have to pay to be verified? Yeah. He called it part of a industry-wide movement Yeah, where creators, not just audiences, but like creators and users pay for the use of the platform. And with Meta Verified, you pay a monthly fee to be verified, which is, was never a thing. Like that was always the thing that everyone wanted. Like, can I get verified? Yeah. Now coming off the heels of Twitter, you can pay for it. Um, in addition, he says it's going to come with increased reach in search, in comments. Wow. Isn't that interesting? You know, this is something that people talked about for a long time with Facebook, actually, that Facebook essentially did like a bait and switch where you could build a big audience and then Facebook said, you have to buy ads to now reach that audience. Mm -hmm. This is the same kind of thing, but it's, it's crazy that Elon Musk has ushered in this new era. But like, is that a movement that's actually happening for not just users but and audiences, but creators, where maybe we've built audiences and mm -hmm. then we will need to pay yeah. to reach those audiences? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, again, if YouTube charged us a dollar to upload, we would do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or if you, you paid an extra fee, Marquez has talked about this before, you pay an extra fee for priority processing. When we started this channel, our first upload... We uploaded it and we were like, all right, we're going to publish it. And then the processing was like six hours or something because yeah. we were a new channel. So we don't mm -hmm. have, you know, priority in, in processing. So we had to wait a long time to publish the episode. So part of what you pay for in MetaVerified is also live chat support, which mm -hmm. is interesting that you might have to pay to get your problem solved, right? And that is something that creators at scale, I think, would pay for if they're feeling like they don't have access to that type of help, right? Like if this is your career, this is your business, you're now paying for chat support. I think like the the ad market is just completely changing to the point where these companies have built platforms that we are building businesses on. And just like any other subscription platform or software that you build your business on top of, like those work in the way that we pay for, right? Like if you're if you're using an accounting software like QuickBooks. It's not ad supported. It's like you pay a subscription and then you build your business on top of it or Shopify, right? Mm -hmm. You pay a subscription and you build your business on top of it. That's a better example. And ultimately it's, it's the platform's rules. Yeah. And you either choose to go along with it or you stop posting there. Kind of is what it is, right? It's yeah. not like, you know, I think people can get up in arms about the fact that Elon wants to make people pay before they'll pay you, right? right. With their revenue service right. on Twitter. But that's like, that's what he's decided. That's the rules of the road, like for their product. Yeah, I think this this whole era of like new CEOs might bring in just a totally new look. There was one tweet that I saw. It was essentially in an iPhone and to unlock it, you had to pay 99 cents. Uh, and it, was a, it, it wasn't real. It was a commentary on, you know, where things are moving that like things that we've taken and, and accepted as free 
might now cost us money. Um, like small micro yeah. payments that at scale make big differences. For Could you imagine? Like if insane. you're getting a call, yeah. you can open it up. Or if you have a text, you can open it up. But if you just want to open it up for like to check Insta- Instagram or yeah. leisure or something like that, they'll charge you. They'll charge you a fee. That'd be insane. It's probably not real, but no. interesting. All right. Our next question comes from the subreddit. How much should I charge for a brand deal? Now, a lot of creators ask us this, but there's some more specifics in this one. So let's read it out. Hey guys, I'm in the process of negotiating a brand deal and I need some input. For context, the company is a subscription website with drum tutorials and for drum professionals. It's a lot like Creator Now for drummers. The company sells physical drum accessories as well. The deal at the moment they offered me looks like this. I receive free access to their membership. $1 for every email sign up they receive. $20 for every free trial sign up received. They also mentioned there's a possibility for creators to receive a flat fee as well as their products as a part of the deal. I'd, I'd like to receive a flat fee if I can negotiate it. My question is what's a reasonable price to request for the flat fee? This is a good specific example that we can talk through because this question comes up a lot. How much do I charge for a brand deal? How do, how do I come up with that? First thing I'll say is I do think as the creator, it's right to look for the flat fee. For sure. Because if you're posting about a brand, you're taking the upfront risk. Like you're mm-hmm. putting in the work to make that video and you're messaging to your audience something that's not fully in the direction of your brand. Right. Like you're compromising on that. Yeah. So if you're only getting paid by how many sales you're able to generate, if you make no sales, that's not necessarily on you. Like it could be For that sure. people didn't like the value prop of the product that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, or the sign-up sheet wasn't great. What, there's, there's all kinds of things. Yeah. And you just it just cost you money. It's not right. like it you just didn't make money. It actually cost you money yeah. to make that video, to talk about it on your platform and then get paid nothing. But for the brand, they're like, okay, that was a no risk mm-hmm. shot we just took and we get to move on. So you should look for a flat fee. Yes. So what this is called so that you you know we can name it and people can, you know, understand this is is a cost per acquisition campaign, which means the brand will incur a cost when you help acquire a customer. So for, for an acquisition of a customer, I don't think creators should do those deals. That's my perspective. We, we don't do those deals. I don't like those deals for creators unless there's a flat fee and then, you know, incentive on top of it because of the reasons you stated. But essentially, like, you know, when we think about flat fee and how to develop it, here's my best, you know, swing at it for you, the creator, make a sheet of ins and outs, write out on the outside, the money that goes out of your bank account every month. Like what does it cost you to exist as a creator? Whether that's like your Adobe subscription or your rent, or, you know, you pay for a studio space, whatever those costs are. Even if if you're an independent creator, you make stuff from home, put your rent in there. And then write down how many videos a month on average you make. And then to cover your out costs, right? So let's say it's $5,000 a month, you you incur in expenses and you make two videos a month. Then actually, ideally, if this is your full-time gig, you want to get to like 2,500 bucks per integration, right? Each episode you're putting out, you want to make you at least 2,500 bucks. But that just covers expenses. That just covers your expenses. So I'm saying at least, right? Yeah. And if your viewership is not at a point where you can pitch to someone, and they'll say yes to 2500 bucks, 
you need to get your viewership up. You need to get your community to a place where it's actually valued at that. Or understand that you're working your way up. Yeah. Take less yeah, money. Yeah. You must be making money somewhere else mm-hmm. to support this career. Right. Uh, and you're taking the deal with the understanding that this is helping to build your engine right now and your process. That's not how we value ourselves today, but it's how we valued ourselves when we started out Mm -hmm. because there was no other benchmark to figure out. We had not done a ton of deals. There wasn't other creators in our, you know, subscriber or viewership base or our vertical to benchmark against. That's just how we did it when we started out. And we got to like, okay, you know, based on our expenses and the market, we should be generating like, I think it was around that. Like if we can do four videos a month, like 2,500 bucks a video, and no one was saying yes to that. So we had to supplement our income with yeah. other stuff. And we were speaking to a relatively general audience in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Once you niche down, you have a better understanding of what companies are even willing to spend and what the market looks like. Right, yeah. So a little bit more context on this creator, you know, on TikTok has 10,000 followers, on Instagram, 10,000 followers, on YouTube, 2,000, on Facebook, 2,000. I think, you know, subscribers, I don't value as much as views per video. If I'm a brand, I'm looking at views per video, engagements per video. I'm looking at like, do you have an engaged community? You could have 10, you, know, you could have 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, but get 100,000 views a video. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that would be a weird situation, but I would look more at that. But based on your general size, I think you're kind of up and coming. And I would suggest probably, you know, maybe you, you don't need, if you don't need this deal, maybe just hold. Keep building the community mm-hmm. until it's at a point where you can do a deal that reflects the type of money you want to make. Yeah, and, and it seems like at that stage, many times the value of taking a deal like that early on mm-hmm. is again about process, yep. figuring out yep. what does yep. it look like for you to integrate yep. a brand, Agreed. to message it to your audience, because that takes practice too. Like That does take practice. If that is what the business becomes for you, primarily advertising-based, you need the reps and you need mm-hmm. the practice of how do I actually do this? You're not going to get the huge rate right out the gate. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did do our first integration in exchange for product um, with a blue light glass company called Felix Gray. Mm-hmm. And they gave us two pairs of glasses. And, and we, made, we went so hard on that video. And we made a full video about blue light glasses. And it's not very good, uh, but we got practice being like, okay, that's not how we want to do brand deals. That's not how we want to do integrations. But we got a rep in. Um, and it was pretty low risk because they give us product to do it. So like you do want to get practiced. And then I think our first paid integration was $800 to just give you guys like a framework of where were we at? So just get started. Um, but also understand you can exercise some patience and be like, I need to get myself to a point where my ad space is valued in a way that I want it to be valued. This podcast is supported by our friends at Kajabi. Kajabi is one of the most significant brands in the creator economy. Creators have earned over $6 billion on the platform through selling courses and membership. And Colin, do you know how Kajabi was started? I don't. So the founder wanted to manufacture a toy for his kid, but over time realized that manufacturing and fulfillment was really complicated. So he actually ended up making a video about how to make toys and then realized there was no good way to sell knowledge-based videos online. So he built Kajabi. So the platform is actually built by an online creator. That's really cool. And it just makes me think about how many opportunities there are in education right now. There are so many things that people know that other people would love to learn, but that they just don't have access to. 
And I think online creators are the absolute best teachers right now. We all know how to engage an audience through video. When we were thinking about launching our course business, student experience was the number one thing we wanted to make sure was excellent. And after looking at all the options, Kajabi was the one that really stood out because of their templates as well as everything that's built in. We're able to offer worksheets, videos, live sessions, challenges, and even a built-in community all through Kajabi. So if you're interested in checking out Kajabi, go to kajabi.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, back to the episode. Now on the topic of brand sponsorships, this comes from Anonymous. I made a video with a sponsorship a few months ago and the company still hasn't paid me for it. How can I get them to pay me and how do I prevent this in the future? Man, so this is a reality that mm-hmm. we've faced, that a lot of creators we've spoken to have faced, where you do a deal with a brand and you know maybe they're supposed to pay you after 30 days, after 60 days, and they just don't. And it keeps mm-hmm. going and you're like, mm-hmm. what can I do other than email? Mm-hmm. Sometimes even have your manager or whoever brokered the deal email and you're just not getting a response. They're like, okay, we'll look into it. We, at one point, had to get like saved by mm-hmm. the agency we were working with. Yeah because we couldn't pay our expenses. We were waiting on one deal to come mm-hmm. through and they just didn't pay. Yeah. And then luckily for us, the integration company we were working with was like, we'll spot you right now. Yeah. So now uh, how we operate, if it's going to be a completely new brand or new agency that we've never worked with before, so we're represented by United Talent Agency who does a lot of our brand deals. What they do is they actually vet the company if they haven't worked with them before. But a lot of the value of working through an agent or a manager is that their familiarity with certain advertisers and to be like, are they a, are they a good partner in this? Will they pay? Do they have a history of paying on time? You know, that's actually something that's really important Mm -hmm. to evaluate. Um, that can be evaluated through other creators, you know, like if you don't have an agent or manager and you're, you know, getting a, a brand deal offer, I would recommend calling other, asking them, what other creators have you worked with? And then, trying to reach out to them via DM or asking them to introduce, like you kind of need references if it's a completely new relationship because this is a reality. There are companies that aren't very good at paying you on time. And, you know, to understand the terms that are going to be in an agreement, oftentimes you'll see net 30, net 60, net 90. What that means is like, essentially, after the work is done, after you deliver the video, they will pay you 30 days after that or 60 days after that or 90 days after that. How we do it now and how I would recommend you do it if possible is to ask for a certain amount up front upon signing. Typically, that's like 25%. And you can do these in installments just to safeguard yourself and also be like, upon signing this deal, my expectation is 25% of the rate gets transferred to me. That's an immediate you know, trust building exercise of mm-hmm. like, can I trust you? Do we have the payment stuff set up? And I'm not going to start the video until that payment comes through. Yeah. Now the payment comes through, we've established a relationship. I will go to the next phase. Mm-hmm. So phase out the payments is also another good thing. Um, all of this requires some level of experience, you know, someone in the room who has experience with negotiating brand deals, right? Or like a very rock solid contract or lawyer who you're working with to review the contracts. Um, those are all important things. Now, what I've seen in the past and what I wouldn't recommend is taking to Twitter and tagging the brand right. <laughs> and calling them out. And I've seen this in the past. Yeah. And for me, I feel like that's just not an effective way to, number one, repeat business with that brand, which is a reality sometimes. Like payments yeah. come late, but then you continue working with the brand. 
too, I feel like outward looking in, sometimes I see those tweets and I'm like, oh, the house is on fire. With like, that brand. With, with sometimes oh, that creator. Or with that creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. like, oh, things are not going well. Sure. Not just financially, but like it's a little bit unorganized. It's messy. Yeah. A tweet just came out about your internal workings. Yeah. I always think it's better to just deal with that behind closed doors. Sure. Yeah. I think you need to have a really good system for vetting your advertisers, you know, and it, it, that can be hard when you're first starting out because you're like, I just, I just trying to get this 800 bucks. Yeah. But again, don't, I, like, you, I can't say this enough. Like, don't build your creator career on rocky ground. Like, d don't come into it being like, I'm, I need this $800. Like, yeah. make sure you are in a financially stable enough position to slowly build because this career takes time. And all of these things, like you might have to vet an advertiser and they don't have a good reputation. So you're going to have to say no. Yeah. That feels weird because they offered you a certain amount of money. But if they don't have a history of paying, you're going to have to say no. Yeah. Because it's going to be an uncomfortable situation. Or you have to evaluate if you want to take that risk and you're financially stable enough to be like, they don't have a good reputation. So just know your terms of your deal extremely well and ask the right questions of like, you know, can we do an upfront payment? Um, if it's net 30, understand, like, I'm not going to get paid until 30 days after the content goes live and that that it, it's approved, you know? You got to understand the terms of your yeah. agreement. And I would say when it comes to vetting brands, that's a question we've gotten in the past. And, yeah. you know, how do you vet a brand as a creator? The best thing that we've done is try and generate an in-real-life human relationship with the people at the brands. Yeah. Because it makes it a lot easier mm -hmm. to pick mm -hmm. up the phone and just be like, hey can we work on this? Can we work on that? And if they really care about you because you've generated a human relationship, yeah. they're like, yeah, let me look into it. Agreed. Can we talk about a big life moment for a second? Please. Courtside at the Lakers game. Whoa, dude. What, was that not the life moment? No, that moment? was it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> was like, yeah, it's so funny. So Colin and I got to go sit courtside at a Lakers game last week. That has been, for me, that has been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. So basically, I'm me, yeah. you're LeBron. yeah. Yes. That's a thing you could do. Right. That's how close LeBron was. Didn't happen, but Didn't happen, yeah. but I yeah, thought yeah, yeah. for a second. That is how close I didn't was. know if I yeah. could control. You never like, sometimes you're like, can I trust my body? <laughs> like, I know I shouldn't <laughs> touch LeBron on the shoulder, but I could. And what if I yeah. just did? And yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, LeBron. Sure. I didn't mean to, but yeah. when am I, you know, we're right here. Yeah, yeah. I know it you're was, in the game and I'm just watching. It was a surreal experience. Like there, there's been a few moments in our career that have been fully surreal. That was one of the most surreal uh, for me, especially because of like, just, I, I always thought that would be a really cool thing to do. When we got there, so we were taken by um, the two founders of a company called Whaler. Um, they're a, a creator agency. And um, we've developed a good friendship with them, good relationship with them. And they've actually recently challenged us to a paddle tennis game. So we're going to have to take them up on that soon. I think about that every day. Neil texted me this morning. About really? It. So yeah, I think I'm it's, playing, like, it's, it's uh, game, game on. On the morning that this episode comes out, I will have played. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so... They take us, we we go into this, like there's something called like the chairman's lounge that you go in. There's beautiful food and like, it's it's incredible. You're like, this whole world exists. I didn't even know about it. Then you get to, we get taken out courtside. And during this process, I'm feeling a, a, a bit of imposter syndrome. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why? like it's crazy to me that we're, we're sitting courtside. But as we start walking out, we start to recognize there's people like, it's like a creator economy. Who's who? As we're, as we're stepping out, the, the, um, the, the founders of Spotter are there who are a partner of ours um, and a great creator economy company. And as we start walking, then Adam W is there. 
you mm-hmm. know, another creator. <laughs> we start walking, and this designer, Chris Bevins, is there, who yep. we know. Uh, who and used then to James Shopify. James Corden is there, and I'm like, James! We don't know Hype. James Corden. Yeah. yeah. And then Floyd Mayweather is Floyd there, Mayweather and I was like, there? Floyd. He's a, he's a YouTube boxer. Yeah. How you been? <laughs> but it was a really cool experience to go sit out there and, like, I don't know, just, like, experience that whole thing and, and have peers that were also there. That was crazy. Yeah. I think one of, one of my favorite moments outside of just watching the game was a guy who works oh, for, for the, the Lakers, Lakers yeah, yeah. Uh, for the, in their social media department comes up with his yeah. like C300 yeah. and his headphones on and he's like, what's up guys? Like, yeah, yeah, he was excited. So cool that you're here. That was cool. That's Those are like, like to know that those people are in our audience is so cool. Like creators who are working for companies like the Lakers. Yeah. That's crazy. I also have a video that I took sitting courtside that I think we should show of LeBron airballing. Okay, so if you're listening right now, If you're listening, you should come over to YouTube. You should and watch come it. over to YouTube. Yeah. It's playing right now on the screen. It's. I mean, you're a Lakers fan. I'm a Lakers fan. So, by the I'm, way... I am I, surprised that you just didn't delete this file. I was close to deleting it, but then I was like, this is a rare video. I could, this is like an NFT. You know, I could mm. sell this thing. You could, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Maybe I should even watermark it while it's up because it's such a rare video. Maybe. <laughs> Although, I don't know if you want to be... I don't know if you want to be attached to this. No, I'll put like, your name on it. The, no, yeah, please no. All right, next question. This comes from Creator Pad on our subreddit. What is the best way to grow a newsletter? Aside from modeling after the pros, CNS crew, shout out to Hannah. Hannah's a writer for the published press, one of two writers. What is the best way to grow a newsletter? So this is a really good question. And I think we are seeing like a lot of newsletters pop up right now. And like Ali Abdal has a great newsletter. Um, Jay Alto has a great newsletter. Like, a lot of creators are developing newsletters. And what we found, like, let's first maybe take a step back and talk about our newsletter, why we decided to to make it, and then the process of growing it. Because we've had a lot, we've had yeah. a lot of interesting experiences with that. Okay. So our newsletter, the published press. Mm-hmm. The first thing when I think about the published press is that because we send it three times a week, we can cover way more creator stories. Yes. It just takes us a really long time, as you can tell to make a YouTube video right. on our main YouTube channel. Yeah. Now, luckily, we have this channel and this mm-hmm. outlet, this podcast. But it takes a while to talk about a creator, let alone to interview one. Yeah. I mean, setting up an interview can take right, months. Right. So this is an opportunity for us to cover the space three times a week, potentially cover three or more creators in each issue, and also include job listings, mm-hmm. um, Dude, interesting little things. You know what's crazy? We The amount of emails we get that say, hey, guys, just want to let you know, I got my current job because of your newsletter. That's crazy. Yeah. Like that to me is delivering on the value that we've set out to to kind of be this hub for what happens in the creator economy, to educate people about what's happening and to support the the ecosystem. Like like you said, we get to do that on a three time a week basis through the published press. And again, people are like, we're helping creators because they have job listings. We're helping people in the industry because they're looking for jobs. We're telling stories and educating people about what other creators are doing. Like last week we covered the growth of, you know, chess on YouTube yeah. and the world of like two creators coming together to make a chess pro league. Super interesting to learn about different niches in the space. And we get to go research them and our team, you know, gets to go research them and, and provide value. I, I think it's been one of the most exciting products to to create because it was kind of unexpected for me. Yeah, I was like, it makes sense to create a newsletter. Why does it make sense? 
because we have a direct relationship with an audience. We can, we're not, you know, bound by a title and thumbnail. We have to have a good email subject line, but they've given us permission to be in their inbox. Mm -hmm. You know, like there, I, I wrote about this on LinkedIn. Oh my can, gosh. I say, can I say that? I wrote about this on LinkedIn. Uh. But the difference between permission and interruption, YouTube is, is heavily based on interruption. We need to create a thumbnail that's going to stop your scroll. Mm -hmm. Like you're on YouTube and we need to be like, stop, look at this, click here. You know, yeah. even if you've subscribed to us, we still have to do that. It's not automatic going to you as a subscriber. Of course. If you are signing up for our email, you're saying, hey, I'd like to receive stuff for you. I'm giving you permission to be in my inbox. And that relationship makes, a lot, it's almost like a Patreon relationship or a membership relationship, right? So that's what makes it really great. Yeah. But it's also what makes it really hard to grow. To grow. Yeah. The fact that you have to get to a point where right. someone will give you permission, permission. Yeah. to opt in. And the reality of it is the way that we've been able to grow the most is utilizing algorithmic platforms mm -hmm. and search platforms like YouTube yeah. and Twitter and Instagram. So people discover us there yeah. because we're talking about creators. And then if they want more, they're like, okay, yeah. I heard them talk about the press. Let me go check it out. I think one thing that's hard um, is like, when it comes to membership, a lot of the best practice is whatever you're doing, like, like, let's say we start a creator support membership. Essentially, that is, let's answer more questions. Let's provide more support. It's an extension of what we already do. One of the challenges is us promoting the newsletter is a different medium. It's the same type of stories, but it's in written content. So we have to say, are you interested in the creator economy? Yes. Are you interested in reading is another thing, right? Yeah. Do you use email? Do you want this email three times a week? You know, now these are these are additional questions that you have to check. And that's a smaller grouping of our audience. YouTube has been the most successful for us. Like when we made an ephemeral video last year that gained 20,000 subscribers to the newsletter, which have all stuck around, which is incredible to me. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're there, they're opening emails. Um, the other thing that's been really successful for growth of the newsletter is other newsletters. Ali Abdal has talked about us quite a bit in his newsletter. He's shared that it's like a newsletter he likes reading. That has driven a lot. Yep. Because again, this is all about permission, trust. If you trust Ali and his taste and he links our newsletter, then you're probably going to like our newsletter. So it's a slower build, but I think you have to figure out, number one, who is my audience for this newsletter? Not only who are they, but who is that grouping of people who opens their email? you know, and wants to read. Mm -hmm. And then where do those people currently hang out? And can I meet them there? Yeah, because it is going to be word of mouth. Even yeah. Ali Abdal linking our newsletter, he talks about creators. Right. Like he also is gathering a similar type of community. Yes. So that's a word of mouth plug. Mm -hmm. And we have a different product than him, mm -hmm. which, is, which is positive. It's the same audience, but different product. That's a great place for us. I will turn this to all of you. If you guys have ideas, if there's like growth marketers out there or just creative people who have ideas about how to grow a newsletter, we're working on growing the list for the published press. Would love to test out some of your ideas. Yeah, I would say currently something we're working on is trying to make the format of the published press more shareable, more, shareable. more inherently yeah. shareable so that people could screenshot it right. and throw it up on Twitter or on Instagram stories. Yeah. And it's not hard for them to do that. Digital word of mouth is screenshots you know, and sharing. So how do you, how do you amplify that? How do you set yourself up as a product to allow for word of mouth, digital word of mouth? Question from Thomas Aliva. You guys going to South by Southwest would be cool to hear you guys speak. Yes. Short answer. We will be there. We're speaking on March 10th with Harley Finkelstein, who is 
the president of Shopify. I think it's around 2.30. We'll put it up on screen. But yeah. it's, it's, it's 2.30. Um, just search our name in the South by Southwest you know, website. You'll find us there. We're talking about like the future of creators and commerce. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. And I love Austin. Austin, Texas is great. Yeah. Did you see that Topper Guild commented on our last video and is interested in talking about the plagiarism thing? Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar, our last episode was all about plagiarism on YouTube. And we played an example where this creator, Topper Guild, we didn't say his name, uh, but we just included no. the videos and we yeah. played them back to back of Ryan Trahan's video and then Topper's video, mm -hmm. which the script was copied pretty much word for word. Right. And he commented on the YouTube video and has reached out. Yeah. I'm really excited to chat with him. Um, you know, we, we're, I think there's, there's something brewing, maybe a, a bigger piece, a bigger exploration of, you know, plagiarism in this current version of YouTube and, and getting different perspectives on it. I don't, you know, my interest is actually hearing everybody out and, and genuine curiosity around like, what is, what is the thought process behind like this era of YouTube right now? So I'm really excited about that. I think it's, I, I would say much respect for like commenting that and reaching out and being willing to chat. Yeah. I think that's cool. Super cool. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Please. Are we in the deep end? We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. We might be there. Well, are we there? We, let I me didn't, check. I oh, didn't put, oh. Yeah, there you go. I just put my <laughs> swimmies on uh, so I can float in the deep end. Perfect. Well, welcome to all of you who are joining us here in the deep end. This is the back half of the episode. If you're here with us, comment a snorkel emoji on YouTube or tweet it at us if you're listening. Um, one quick insight that I wanted to talk about. Last week, we've been tracking this viral short of ours. It now has 22 million views. It's too many views. It's become our most viewed video, most viewed piece of content we've put out. Yeah, the, the short that we made is about the three oldest videos on YouTube. Yeah. It has 22 million views. That's right. It's too many views. That's too much exposure. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sure. I'm not going to sit here asking YouTube yeah, to yeah. stop delivering the sure. views. But that's so insane. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. Besides the fact, our our second most viewed short was about Squid Game. That short got 21.5 million views and made $39 from the fund. I, I, I'm ready to like share about shorts monetization as February comes to a close because we've only posted one short, but we're driving a lot of shorts views right now in our library. But this specific short on, tw on the same amount of views when it hit 21 million views made $1,006. That's a substantial difference, obviously. Yeah. But it's, there's a couple things that are interesting to me. One, that it takes over 20 million views to generate $1,000 from one of our shorts. Yeah, yeah. Because on our long-form content, much different story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even this channel is closing in on around $1,000 in AdSense revenue on, like, 200,000 views across all the, all the episodes yeah. in one month. That's, like, you know, that's, that's pretty substantial difference, um, which makes sense. But, you know, the second thing is recognizing that there's some creators out there that are doing hundreds of millions of views. And I think we're starting to learn about shorts monetization, what it takes to actually make money as a shorts creator is like incredibly viral content. Mm -hmm. There is a short that was trending uh, about someone watching shorts, like a speed running shorts, essentially going like firing through a ton of shorts. And I was watching all those hooks and I was like, I, I think the incentive structure of this is you really have to make shorts that are 20 million view plus shorts. 
And there is a bit of an equation for that. The thing that we've learned is if you're landing in like the 35 to 45 second range and driving over 90% retention, it's pretty likely going to go somewhat viral. That means tactically as a creator, which is a good practice, no matter what you're doing, you kind of need to establish in the first two to three seconds why someone should watch this all the way till the end. Yeah. And one thing we noticed with some of our, our shorts that weren't doing as well, we were kind of delivering a lot of the information up top and then there was no reason to keep watching. Yeah. So just as like an insight that I wanted to share with everyone, like sounds really simple, but write out a framework that's, that actually means someone has to watch till the end. Like, yeah, I mean, the three oldest videos on YouTube is the one we gave as an, as an example. And yeah. in that example, you have to wait to watch all three videos to mm -hmm. find out what they are. And the videos get increasingly older right? as the short goes on. Mm -hmm. So that'll get you to around 35, 40 seconds. Yep. My cold plunge got delivered last night. Oh, wow. I'm going to set it up and I might become one of those guys that's like, this is day one of my 100-day cold plunge oh, journey. Man. Here's my health benefits. Just Here's what's changing in my life. And then I'm just going to eat liver exclusively. Uh, I'm going to start eating raw liver, uh, and I'm going to talk about it on my LinkedIn. That would be my least favorite version <laughs> of you. <laughs> I did a cold plunge on Saturday night. Nice. And I came out of it, and I, like, I, I went to a place where you kind of rent it, right? like 30 minutes or whatever. I don't have my own yet, but I might. And I came out and the guy was like, how was it? And I was like, I had to convince myself that I wasn't going to die. <laughs> and he goes, I know. I can't believe people pay for this. <laughs> I was That's like, really yeah, funny. I paid for that this. Funny. That's yeah. insane. But yeah. it did feel amazing. It was funny because the guys who delivered it to me, they put it in my backyard. I was like, thank you so much. And they go, so is this just kind of like a tub that you fill with cold water? And I was like, That's right. And they were like, people are crazy. <laughs> like Los Angeles, and, man. And I was like, yeah, you're right. We're all a little crazy. Yeah. So, all right. Cool. Well, thanks for watching this episode of Creator Support. If you guys have more questions, you can join our Reddit, r slash Colin and Samir. You can ask a question there. You can tweet at us. You can also comment on the YouTube video. Also, I love video questions. Yes, video questions. So send us a video question. It can be on Twitter. It can be in our subreddit, r slash Colin and... What? Huh? What? Wait. And we'll see you next week. See ya.